How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling, and this week we are concluding our 100th episode celebration. We have broken down our favorite matches by decade, starting with, of course, not a decade, before the 1980s, and then onward, and we are now on the 10s, or the 2010s, however you like to uh, refer to them as. I usually call them the teens, even though there's some tween in there, but I right. call them the teens. So this will be our final episode because, of course, we are only in 2022. Um, so come back with us in eight years, and we will bring you the best of the current decade. Um, but I hope. this week we are going over, uh, like I said, the 2010s, and uh, we will put up uh, some graphics here to show you what our previous picks were. And as always... Let us know what you think. Um, so, Leonard, am I correct in saying that you don't have any honorable mentions to men for the, for us this week? I, I do not. You know, we we had talked last time about how during the aughts that my fan uh, you know level was about this was about the same. It stayed consistent. I would say the same for the teens, although it had dropped two or three levels. Wrestling got to the point where it was something I had on in the background. I really wasn't paying attention to it. I was playing on my phone. I was reading. I was working from home. I really wasn't paying attention to it. And primarily what I was having on was WWE. I didn't watch any NXT uh, because it was on the network. I didn't have the network at the time. Aside from a few of the big pay-per-views, which we will get to, I went through some spurts where I watched Impact or Ring of Honor, uh, but but not heavily. I mentioned how I watched AEW very early on in, in the beginning with them, but there wasn't really a lot from this decade that really stood out to me. I watched, uh, I, I looked at several lists, and a lot of the matches, there were either things I didn't remember or just wasn't necessarily too keen on. And, um, you know, the, the stuff that we're going to talk about, um, you know, kind of when we did the pre-1980, it was like, this is sort of the stuff I found. And, and it was very, very similar. You know, well, I would say the three that I have were three that just really stood out to me. But after that, it was really hard to find a few others. You do have one on your list that I certainly would have considered. And you have an honorable mention on your list that uh, and, uh, that I Probably would have gone with, but I didn't think it was. I thought it was this decade. Ah, okay. Well, so yeah, I will add about the this the twenty twenty ten to twenty nineteen, and you know that, and it's also with the you know time period we're in right now that you know wrestling is is certainly in a shift in that it, it's starting to get a little bit more popular now. Like, but a lot of things are changing. You know, the style of matches is different than it was. And some people like that and some people don't. Some people prefer more old school. Some people are embracing the way the matches are. Um, so, and I think you can see that in who had like the standout matches in the decade we're going to discuss. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of them. Um, but yeah, let, it, let us know what you think about this decade in general. I would say it's a heavy transition period for wrestling in general um well you know we talked about to go full circle on our very first episode my idea of old school wrestling or retro wrestling like i'm a retro gamer i don't have a current xbox or a nintendo switch or a playstation 
I have a Super Nintendo, Atari, Nintendo, Sega Genesis. I love all those things. And there is a community that is just focused on old gaming. With professional wrestling, if you tell someone you're a wrestling fan, they assume you watch all wrestling of all time periods from all over the world, always and forever. Uh, but I think that connotation is changing. Um, a lot of the Facebook groups I'm in, people I talk with, uh, there de definitely does seem to be a dividing line. I think that's part of the transition. Those people who preferred old school wrestling, say from maybe 2010 on, on back, or even those who are just into the 80s and 90s stuff. So I, I think that, that you're going to actually see that divide grow. I think you're going to have some people like you who who will continue to watch and continue to get into the modern stuff. You're going to have newer fans who just don't care to get into the older stuff, and that's perfectly fine. And then you're going to have people more like me who's just not very into the current product, current people, what they're doing, and is going to be more focused on the older stuff. And just like there's still tons of old games out there I discover, there's still tons of old wrestling and old uh, people out there to to discover as, as well. So, you know, I could see people commenting that, you know, I'm an old man shaking my fist at a cloud because I didn't really care for a lot of the stuff the past decade. If you love it, that's fine. And we're going to get into one match where we vastly differ. And you know, I know you know which one we're going to vastly differ on. And, uh, you know, and that's that's OK. I think it's, it's just to the point where, yeah, there's a transition happening. And that transition is, I think, also separating the fan base. Yeah, I would I would say that there's like a lot of dividing lines, actually. I mean, uh, some of the ones you mentioned. And of course, you know, nowadays, you know, there's people that like AEW and there's people that like WWE. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And even back in the day, you had people who like WCW. Sure. And not WWE. And the other way around and who even before then people who only had their territory and liked their territory even if they had access to something else and you have the really sad people that are only into wcw from 1999 onward right yes yes yeah like dan like our like friend of the show dan weber <laughs> yeah. um so let me get started with my honorable mentions then mm -hmm. um i have cody rhodes versus dustin rhodes from aew double or nothing may 25th 2019 um adam cole versus johnny gargano for the nxt championship nxt takeover 25 june 1st 2019 becky lynch versus charlotte flair at wwe evolution in 2018 we have from nxt on july 11th 2018 mustache mountain versus the undisputed era and i have the lucha brothers versus the young bucks aew all out august 31st 2019 Leonard, are there any of those matches you would like to comment on? So Rhodes versus Rhodes is the match I probably would have used, but I, for whatever reason, I thought it was 2020. Yeah. I don't know why. I should have double checked it. I just that was one of the first ones I thought I would go. No, no, that's that's past that. Um, Lynch Flair is very good. Now I have a female match on my list. That's why I didn't go with that one. And I th and we'll talk about the female revolution. I think when we get to my match. Uh, but I think it's it's great that you could have had several women's matches either oh, yeah. on your main list or as an honorable mentions where we couldn't have done that, I don't think, with the previous decades. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, there are some very good women's matches from Japan in the 90s. And I think you had one on maybe your aughts list. You had one. Yeah, with, uh, you know, Monami Toyota. Absolutely. Um, you know, but obviously those matches weren't seen by 
everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the women will continue to grow and uh, get better, which is great. Uh, so those are my honorable mentions. Leonard, why don't you give us your first pick? All right. So going chronologically as we've done in the past, uh, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 26 from March 28th of 2010. Career versus streak, no DQ. Uh, it's about 24 minutes long. Uh, and this is very similar to the Michaels versus Flair match I talked about last time, but now it's Michaels having his career threatened. And much like Flair, this should have been Michaels' last match, but it wasn't. Uh, and it wasn't his last match with The Undertaker either. Uh, Michaels and Undertaker have a very long history, and this match draws on a lot of that, even though we're in 2010 here. This kind of feels like the end of the previous era of WWE in a lot of ways. As at this point, and not counting Triple H, you pretty much had the last two viable superstars of the Attitude Era going at it here. Uh, the start of the match is hot, very physical, and Michael's doing the DX chop from the corner, I think is a great image. Um, at this point, most of the Undertaker's feuds were of the I respect you so much nature. And I think Michaels could get away with, I'm not afraid of, of The Undertaker. Uh, nuclear heart, hot crowd throughout, which is split pretty evenly between the two of them. Uh, great bumping by Michaels, great back and forth. Uh, the missed moonsault to the outside was really crazy. Uh, taking out the cameraman with suicide dive was a little too much, I think. That would be a minus I would give to the match. Um, all the greatest hits are kind of done here with them, but that's what you want to see. Um, you know, UT goes for the back early on, Michael's for the knee, the extended finishing sequence is super hot with so many counters, big moves being hit and near falls. And we're going to talk about, I think, a couple of matches that have what I would call an extended, extended finishing sequence where you have so many finishers being kicked out of and so many big moves happening. And this may be one of the first matches that kind of uh, built that that template, or at the very least, you see that more in matches throughout the decade, where it's just not like finisher go home or kick out of finisher one and then you go home. It's a longer sequence. Uh, maybe not their best match, but I think it's a capper for their feud. And, you know, to mention, yes, they would face off again at Crown Jewel of Triple H and Shawn Michaels against the Brothers of Destruction, but we're not going to talk about that one. Well, yeah, so this is this is a very good match. Um, you know, obviously, when it comes to a match like this, we're, we're talking about separate decades, but this is obviously compared to the match they had the year previous, um, which is widely considered one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. And some people would label it their favorite match of all time. Um, these two guys have superb chemistry every time they go to the ring. And uh, in this match, you know, I would agree with you. There is a lot of greatest hits situations going on here, but they still have chemistry. Um, and I, I did like this match a lot. I rewatched it and found it very entertaining. And it's tough not to be engaged when these two guys are doing their things. The Undertaker did a lot of his routine moves early on. Um, but then, of course, towards the end, it did become like kind of a finisher best uh, to, a, to a certain extent. Um, I think if, if anything takes away from this match in retrospect, it's the fact that, as you mentioned, uh, you know, that Shawn Michaels has appeared again. And, you know, and the ending of this is very much like the Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels ending. And both work. Um, but when it happened here, I don't 
know if it had this exact same effect that it did when it happened with the flare match um nor was it as emotional especially considering the next two years you know you would have undertaker against triple h and then in that final triple h undertaker match you would have Shawn michaels be there um so you know Shawn michaels is clearly still around in a big way and still involved in this feud with the undertaker in a big way uh but this this is an excellent match and Thankfully, it went on last. Uh, they learned their lesson uh, from the previous year uh, when nobody could follow them. And so this wasn't for a title, but there were obviously significant stakes involved. So they had to go on last. And I, I think that that was a wise choice. Um, I think that uh, on commentary, you had Matt Stryker, Jerry Lawler, and Michael Cole. And uh, I thought that they did fine. I wasn't I wasn't bothered by that. I thought I think Matt Stryker can add some stuff to the commentary team when he wants to be, when he knows how to kind of pull back a little bit. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know, good match. I wouldn't rate it as their best, but that's what you said too. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, but you know, talking of the decade, and again, the two Triple H matches versus Undertaker too was certainly ones to be considered. Um, but you know, I I just I just like this one better. And again, we're we're going off of what we like kind of coupled with what we think is best. Right. Well, uh, going in chronological order, as we tend to do here, my first match is from Money in the Bank, July 17th, 2011, CM Punk versus John Cena for the WWE Championship. So a little background here. This match took place after the famous CM Punk pipe bomb promo, which had everybody talking and if i'm being honest this was during a period that i wasn't watching wrestling very consistently i was not aboard the john cena train i thought that he was very wooden in the ring and he's had great chemistry with certain people but i was not a fan of him being the guy so i didn't check out uh wrestling a lot during this period and when cm punk's promo came across my newsfeed. I did go and check that out after the fact. And that at that point, I was mesmerized. I was like, my gosh, like, and I don't care, like, you know, how much of it was scripted or whatever. Like, to me, it was like, wow, this is unlike anything we've seen in a long time. And I instantly was invested in this particular feud. Um, so that was like probably the best lead up to this match that you can ask for. But on top of that, the fact that uh, it behind the scenes, CM Punk's contract was legitimately coming up and they used that in the storyline that if CM Punk would win the championship, he would leave the company with it. And uh, historically what happened was it came down to the day of this event that he signed a renewal. Um, so that part I thought really made this a vital urgent feud slash match that you wanted to watch tack on top of that the fact that this is in chicago which is cm punk's hometown so the crowd is just on fire for this match and what i talked about john cena having chemistry with certain folks i would say cm punk is one of those people he has really good chemistry um with cm punk and in my opinion now this might not be popular to say now but cm punk can pretty much go in there and work with anybody um especially at this time when he was doing when he was wrestling all the time um, you know, he 
he does well with pretty much everybody he's in the ring with. And so he brought out the best in John Cena. And uh, some of the other notes I had with this. Um, so you have uh, a weird commentary trio here. Um, and I didn't write down who it was. I think it was what Booker T, Michael Cole. And uh, I forget who the third was. Was it Taz? Was it? I don't think it was Taz. Um, I, think Taz I don't was... remember. I remember Booker T not being very good. I should have. I should have written it down. Anyway, I, that was it. Was a weird commentary trio. So um, I thought that this was this match felt different from the get go because John Cena walks directly to the ring. He doesn't do the salute. He is has a very solemn, serious face on, and he throws his shirt to a fan that already has a John Cena shirt on. So he wasn't going to have any of that ECW nonsense where they throw the shirt back at him. Like he wanted to, you know, he was getting down to business. Um, and on a side note, what I noticed when CM Punk was outside of the ring waiting for John Cena to finish his entrance, the person that CM Punk was standing next to on the outside of the ring was a steel. So I found that to be fascinating. I didn't know that, or at least I didn't notice it. At least it looked like a steal to me. Um, so this, um, it just, it, I found it interesting that like some of these important CM Punk moments are in Chicago. And it was also like the day after he quit <laughs> that they went to, well, maybe not the day after, pretty shortly thereafter that they went to see, uh, they were in Chicago and they had Paul Heyman come out with CM Punk's music. Yes. And that was because they were going to hijack the show. And that was brilliant, Heyman. That's a that's a great segment right there. Uh, it was Cole, Jerry Lawler, and Booker T were the commentary. Team. Right. So yeah, I found that to be just a little bit odd. Uh, but uh, this so this match got me back into wrestling for a little bit, and you know, to me, that's a very high compliment. Um, I thought that this match was told in a very straightforward way, um, but it was told in a great way. Um, these two guys just work really, really well together. They have Vince come out. At the end with John Laurinaitis, I thought that was incorporated really well. The post-match shenanigans after CM Punk wins and the crowd just erupts with uh, Alberto, I thought was a really cool twist. Um, this was just an exciting match and one that you like felt like you had to see, um, which was something in this decade, at least in WWE, I don't think that there was a lot of. So, Leonard, what do you think of this one? You know, uh, you told me last week you were looking at one of their matches. So that's why I didn't I didn't pick this one. They also had a really good match on Raw around the same time period. Um, you know, you mentioned about being in, in Chicago. I think it was that type of dynamic where Bret Hart was a face in Canada, but a heel in the U.S. Right. Like Punk was crazy over as a face in uh, Chicago. And Cena got even more heel heat than he uh, traditionally did. Uh, I think this was just a really solid wrestling match overall with a nice mix of wear down holds and submissions and bigger spots. It reminded me in structure somewhat of the Smoke Joe and CM Punk match that we talked about last week, although it's shorter by about a half hour. And I would say it's probably a little bit zippier uh, because of that. Uh, the suplex over the rope to the floor was a great spot. The suicide dive to the outside by Punk was a great spot. The Frankensteiner by Punk was great. Uh, Cena rolling out of the ring uh, off of the go to sleep, I think was a brilliant spot because Punk couldn't pin him. He had to go drag his carcass back in. Uh, great counters of finishers here. I think it slows down a little bit in, in the middle, but then you get this, the start 
But the start and the finish are really hot, and the crowd's great throughout. That kind of carries it through. And then you had the callback at the very end to the Montreal screw job, and Vince Man and General Laurinaitis came out. And that's been done to death. So I think it's really good here. And it's because you have Cena preventing it from going down. You have him stopping Laurinaitis, stopping McMahon, saying no, and then he ultimately pays for it. Because he right. gets right back in the ring and walks right into the go to sleep and loses. And it's so quick that McMahon can't do anything. And I think it's a super creative finish that played very well off of the characters and off of the storyline that had been created. I think this is as, as, as a match that I think it tells a great story in and of itself, but it also tells a great story given all the background coming into it. And, and I think we're going to see that with a few of the matches that, that we have here. I think could be said about maybe the more modern style. I think it's the idea of, of telling a lot of the story outside the ring. And then, and then the good matches bring it inside, where the not so great matches I don't I don't think does. They just rely on, hey, you watched this last week, so you know they they don't necessarily try to tell an internal story. And again, I keep hinting. We'll talk about different things that I think will play into that. But I think this is is is, is a great match in and of itself, and for everything that it brings in. All right, Leonard, what is your next match? All right, so again, going chronological order, I have a triple threat for the WWE World Title from the Royal Rumble on January twenty fifth, twenty fifteen. It goes about twenty two minutes and forty two seconds. Champion Brock Lesnar defending against Seth Rollins and John Cena. Now, this is a match that we had talked about, I believe, on our favorite or best Royal Rumble matches that weren't the Royal Rumble. I believe this was one of your picks. So that's probably why it was fresh in my head. When I was looking at lists of best matches, this popped up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I I remember that probably because we watched it not too long ago. Um, You know, triple threats, I think, can be tricky to work with the dynamics. And this had a great flow and a great mix of all three guys throughout. But when one of the guys was setting out, there was always a really good reason for it. Like in the very beginning, Seth Rollins was just letting Cena and Lesnar go at it by themselves. Or when Lesnar was so hurt on the floor, paramedics were tending to him. It just wasn't a guy laying on the floor pretending to be out for an extended period of time. You know, there was reasons for a guy to be out. Or if they were out, it wasn't an, an extended period. It wasn't overly long. It didn't feel. Uh, the story here really is Lesnar as the dominant champion and just being kind of nonplussed by having to deal with two guys at once. And all three guys are different style wrestlers and they have different style of characters, but I think they work really well together here. I think it makes sense for Lesnar to be in the driver's seat to start and both guys just have to find their spots. You have Cena powering up from the submission hold early on with Roland Rollins, uh, you know, coming in with a springboard to break it up. I think that was, was a great sequence. Uh, Cena does the can't see me shtick and gets a German suplex from Lesnar from behind, which I loved. Uh, the rolling AAs with Rollins making the save for the pin was good. Uh, then Lesnar takes a, cor- a curb stomp with Cena making the save. Uh, the spear through the barricade of Cena and Lesnar is a great spot. Rollins with the elbow drop to put Lesnar through the announce table. I think it's the spot of the match. Uh, but a lot of big spots here. And even the portion where Lesnar is out, as I mentioned, I think works. Uh, and the stuff with Noble and Mercury, I thought that was a little too much. That would be my minus for the match if I would give it one. Uh, but uh, but the AA, the, the double AA that Cena does 
with with Mercury and Noble on top. I think that's great. And you know, while it probably would have made sense to maybe do a title move here, considering that Lesnar could lose it without losing it, without being panned or submitted himself. Uh, you know, this match was just all about Lesnar proving how dominant he was. While I don't think Cena or Rollins came off looking weak, a very good, very solid triple threat. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I I really like this match a lot. I mean, I I personally wouldn't put it in a conversation for decade best of, but I like it a lot, and I think that it has a really good flow with three guys. They did a really good job of balancing this as a triple threat, as you mentioned, with whenever guys were outside the ring. And I also thought that all the spots that involved all three guys went off really, really well. I thought that they made sense, and, you know, it's like – hard to establish chemistry in a triple threat with three different guys, but these guys managed to pull it off. Another, another one from the past was uh, involved Lesnar. Actually it was Lesnar, big show and Kurt angle. Um, I want to say vengeance, but uh, that one also all three guys had really good chemistry. It's really hard to do that. A lot of times these matches can be awkwardly structured, even if they are good. Um, but this one, I thought, made a lot of sense. The shenanigans with J&J security were what they were, but it, it you know, provided some neat spots. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is a good match for sure. All right. So my next match is from NXT TakeOver New Orleans, April 7th, 2018. It is Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa in an unsanctioned match. It runs about 37 minutes and six seconds. So the background to this match um, kind of goes over a period of about a year. Uh, you had a really shocking breakup with Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano as tag team DIY. Um, it was one of those breakups that I don't really think a lot of people saw coming, but it was really brutal the way it was executed. And then Ciampa was injured. So they had him off TV for a while. And in that time, Gargano would be fighting and winning the NXT championship. And eventually Ciampa would come back and kind of reignite their feud by interfering in his matches. And in one case, costing him his NXT career. Um, so this match, the added stipulation is that if Gargano wins, he gets reinstated into NXT. And this was a period where I was like, if I was watching wrestling at all it was mainly nxt because i just thought the stuff that they were doing was fantastic and i love diy as a tag team and i thought that every time these two guys got together it was a four star plus affair and this i would argue is their best encounter um just from the get-go i thought that so many things went off really well uh tomaso champa was striving to be the ideal heel here by coming out with no music. Um, the crowd was electric. They, they couldn't wait to see him get his comeuppance. Um, you had Mauro Ronaldo, Nigel McGuinness, and I forget the third gentleman. He didn't last a super long time. But he Ronaldo, didn't say a lot either. I kind of forgot there was a third guy there until he. It was when it. they were. This was during a period where they were trying to force the three-man booth, and uh, you know, Mauro Ronello and Nigel Guinness were really good together. So that's really the only two guys you need to remember. Um, and one of the things I would add, 
like that if ever if there are people these days that are really on board with like Triple H as head of creative, one of the examples you have of what he could bring to the table was right here. Um, his type of storytelling. This was a story that went over the period a period of a year. I don't know if they intended it to be that way because of Champa's injury, but it lasted that long and it did really well. Um, I mean, this match is just fantastic to me from start to finish. You have so many great spots here. You have the power bomb on concrete. Um, you have them fighting over the crutch, which is, you know, as they allude to on commentary, if you've never been a part of this feud, they do a good job of telling you the background because the crutch is such an important part of this feud. Um, to me, this is like one of the best examples of how to break up a tag team and how to make both men bigger stars as a result. You know, a lot of times you just see one guy rise to the top in my opinion, both of these guys rose to the occasion. They would have other great matches after this. The finish to this is just brutal, in my opinion, without it being bloody. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to highlight this entire feud because I thought their their matches were always great. But uh, this was the one I chose to pinpoint in particular. So, Leonard, what'd you think? So, first off, uh, the third commentator was Percy Watson. There you go. Who, who was uh, from Tough Enough. Uh, secondly, uh, Tommaso Ciampa looks like Sid Haig on steroids. <laughs> uh, and third, I didn't know a lot about this feud or the lead-in to this match. This was, again, I wasn't watching NXT, and this is kind of past the point where I was catching some of the takeovers. Um, but I, I, I get the story. See, this is why I, I think this was a fantastic match. And it's because without me knowing anything, I got the story very quickly. Part of it was what they were doing in the ring. Part of it was how the commentators were explaining things as it went along. You know, Ronaldo was very good at, at explaining not only the background, but when certain things were done, why they were being done. So, I mean, I get this is two former best friends and tag partners who have split. And Gogano is trying to get back into NXT by winning this unsanctioned bout. I like the wild brawling from the start and the pacing. Even what I would call some of the flippy stuff is done with such intensity and with a flair of, I'm doing this because it works here. They're still wrestling within the fighting. There's a lot of brutal stuff here. And I love the facial expressions and body language of both guys, especially Ciampa. I mean, he really comes off, as you said, as like a quintessential heel you know he he could be a, a batman villain you know with some of the looks that he gives here um you, you get that they hate each other and this walks to such a nice line between being a fight and a wrestling match if you can suspend some disbelief uh the fight around the ring was good uh the tease of something on the concrete pads when they were pulled up was well done i liked overall how they it was it was a uh, Chekhov's crutch, if you will, like they would introduce something and then come back to it, like the the pads being pulled up and exposing the concrete floor, like the crutch, uh, like the exposed turnbuckle pad, like like the knee brace that came off. Um, I will say two things I didn't like about the match is the the guy with the crutch was such a plant; it was way too obvious. <laughs> I think because of everything that was going on since crutches were a big part of their storyline they one of them could have brought it out or one of them could have had it hid underneath the ring apron and i think that would have made a lot more sense than oh here's a random guy and we're going to steal his crutch and instead of security trying to get this man's crutches back they throw him out 
<laughs> well, they like, escort him away from they escort the, him away, but they, they, didn't want, they didn't want him to get hurt. Yeah. So, and then this, the other thing is there was a few dead spots, two or three, where it just seems like they're not selling, they're not doing anything, they're just kind of lying there. Um, which is a huge criticism I have of current wrestling is that even if, it seems to be about spot, 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 and in between, we're not doing anything. And that's not bad here, and it's more noticeable in a later match that we're going to talk about. But there was a few spots that I felt like, you know, sell it, do something, uh, you know, do, do slap them in a headlock. I mean, do do something there. Uh, but overall, I mean, I really, really like this. And a lot of it was about the storytelling. Uh, oh, one thing I love, absolutely love, on the submission holds when they would reach the ropes and there was no break. Yes, it's an unsanctioned match. There's no breaks. I mean, how many times have we seen in a supposed no DQ match or in a cage match or whatever that the ropes give a break? So that's brilliant. I love that. Perfect there. Um, I love the finish. You know, there was a couple times where I thought that has to be the finish. But the fact that they were working towards the STF with the knee brace over the face. Yeah, if that's in your back pocket, I think you can blow through a couple finishes. Because that's another complaint that I kind of have with modern wrestling is that you'll have a match that hits what feels like the finish. And I think you need to get used to that. What? I think you need to get used to that. Yeah, and then it keeps going. Now, if you do something bigger, okay. But then it's just, oh, I hit my finisher again for the 37th time, and it worked the 37th time. Or they do something that doesn't look as spectacular as a thing from two spots ago. This was definitely as big as you could get. And I don't mind the fast tap out here, because he's got knee brace cutting into his face. Right, yeah. Absolutely brilliant, super creative. I'm glad you showed me this match. Absolutely loved it. Again, a couple of minor quibbles, but overall, the storytelling, the character work uh, is great. And as you mentioned, I think this shows really the creative side of Triple H, who was in charge at the time. And I hope we get this kind of stuff with him in charge of WWE now. I think it's starting to get there. It's going to take some time. I have high hopes for WrestleMania. Yeah, as do I. Um, so, Leonard, what is your last match? All right. So, my final match is one that might surprise people. I said last week. There was an NXT match that um, I wanted to talk about, and it is from NXT uh, TakeOver Brooklyn from August 22nd of 2015. It's about 18 minutes long, and it is for the NXT Women's Championship, Bailey versus Sasha Banks. So there was a period where I was going over to my brother-in-law's house to watch um, the big pay-per-views, WrestleMania, SummerSlam. I believe this is right before SummerSlam. Um uh, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, those types of things. And I went over one day and he was like, oh, hey, you know, they had this takeover and this was really good and we can watch it before the main show came on because I was over there early. And I loved this whole show. I thought this Brooklyn takeover show was really good throughout. And it was maybe my first exposure to um, NXT. And I would say that the women's revolution really started here because it's the first time a woman's match, I would say, really stole the show. And I think it solidified that women just weren't an extra spectacle 
but were even with any singles matches. As good as this show was, most people will tell you this was the best match on the show. Uh, it's also worth mentioning how both these women have been anchors, I think, for the WWE Women's Division since this, since this time, no matter who has come or gone and, and who's gotten pushed or de-pushed. Of course, Banks' future with the company is still up in the air at the time of this recording. Uh, the commentators, I think, set up the storyline perfectly in the first few moments. Uh, Banks doesn't respect Bailey at all. So you have Bailey with a chip on her shoulder trying to prove herself against Banks, who might not be as driven as usual because she doesn't respect Bailey. A lot of great counters here. Very much a match of two people who know each other very well in the ring. Everything connects as the match moves on. Great back and forth action. Uh, some dead space between moves. Again, that kind of minor complaint from me. Uh, but they, especially Banks, I think, fills that in with some character work, with the facial expressions and, and with some selling, some different things. Uh, there's a part where Banks is just verbally berating Bailey, and she comes back with a kick to the mouth. That's a great moment. Uh, the work on the hand, tying into having had a broken hand. That's great. That's great storytelling. That's a callback. Uh, the bank statement reversal is such an awesome moment. It's well sold by both. Uh, the reverse Frankensteiner was a crazy spot. And again, great ending because this was built for Bailey to go over, and, and she does. And uh, I think it's very important to have a woman's match. Uh, you know, on, on, on my list, I, I love a lot of the stuff they've been doing. If it wasn't this match, I probably would have found another one. Uh, but, but I think this one, again, like I said, I think it's a milestone because for a lot of people, despite what they were doing up to this point, I think this is the match that kind of made people wake up and say, oh, hey, there's something going on with the women's division. Well, I would I would argue that the NXT women's division was doing a lot of great stuff already. But, uh, you know, this match is excellent. Well, I think it's the high profileness of it. Yeah. And I, I wasn't necessarily watching it, but the fact that it was a very high profile match on what was probably their most high profile big show up to that point. Yeah. And, you know, at this time I was still, I was watching a lot of NXT and, uh, you know, if the only thing about like, this was an excellent match, by the way, I, I, if, if I hadn't selected for my honorable mention, the one I did, I would have put this one on there uh, because this is one that will make a lot of the lists for you know best women's matches uh, of the decade or however long um and for good reason um it, you know looking at this at the time when i was watching nxt it was really obvious what was going to happen here now you were rooting for bailey because you know she hadn't had the title yet and everybody was wanting her to kind of reach that pinnacle and so it was uh, like there was nowhere else for them to go because as the video package shows like all the other women had moved on to the main roster, including Sasha Banks, who had a, ma a match at, uh, what is it? I believe SummerSlam the very next day after this. So it, you knew what they were going to do. That didn't stop it from being a really good, really competitive match. Um, the uh, plancha over the ref was really good. Um, at one point, there's a crash off the rope, which was kind of like a really kind of crazy landing. Um, you have Bailey doing the reverse Hurricane Rana uh, into the into the finish, which was a really good way to finish the match. Um, this was a classic underdog angle. You know, you had the four horsewomen who, as Leonard said, are anchors even to this day uh, for the main roster. Um, and so that was the storyline going into this. This was the happy Bailey with, uh, you know, the the floaty things that uh, at the beginning of each match. Um, now, one spot 
that I did not like. I like the stuff with the hand. However, one spot I did not like, and I will preface this by saying, for as many people that complain about some of the overused spots in wrestling these days, like the Tope Suicidas or the jumps into a bunch of people and everybody gets knocked over, and I agree some of those spots can be cringy. Um, I, I like I'll, I'll say this about spots in general. I like spots when they I feel like I feel like they add to a match. The hand anytime anybody does a hand spot in between the stairs and the ring, I, I like immediately roll my eyes because in no semblance of reality does that it has it made sense yet where somebody has their hand there and they don't just immediately remove it. <laughs> like like show me that that person can't remove their hand in any way show me how that hand is actually stuck there but they can't they just have to pretend that it's stuck there and to me it looks so stupid like they were doing really good hand stuff around this but when somebody and this has happened with the guys too not just the women like whenever anybody has their hand or their arm stuck in stairs it's like oh my god like, this is so stupid like there's no like it's not locked there like you know <laughs> anyway that's a minor quibble in what was an otherwise really, really good match. You know, I don't know if you mentioned the time. It's about 18 minutes. 18.22, yes. Now you sound like me. Let's take well, this little tiner, minor thing and flip out about it. You know, I didn't really notice that because because I, I guess it was just, oh, yeah, I guess you did play it off like it was stuck when it naturally wasn't where I was kind of thinking of, oh, she's just – tired or she doesn't have Dana enough does it a lot. to push it but yeah I, yeah Dana Dana now does it a lot with, like, like her 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 arm work like yeah. Shayna Baszler will twist the arms and then the person will have to like lay there on the mat with their arm twisted in a certain way waiting for her to jump up and stomp it and like it's it's sick looking when she does it but like at the same time it's like it only takes one second for that person to move their arm <laughs> anyway yes uh, we're carping, but uh, this was, to me, a very good pick. So, um, in any event, uh, my last match is in chronological order. It was also from 2018. Um, June 9th, 2018, it is New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion 6.9 in Osaka, Joe Hall. And so, let me preface this by saying the first time I probably watched this match it was probably because I just Googled it and it was probably the Japanese commentary. Um, nowadays I have a NJPW world subscription. And one of the benefits of that particular streaming service is that you can get certain events and matches with English commentary. And for those who do not know, uh, Kevin Kelly does the English commentary for most of the new Japan stuff. Um, in the case of this match, this was the first time I watched it with English commentary and it was Kevin Kelly with um, Don Callis, um, which, you know, Don Callis was not a regular addition to the commentary team, but him being associated with Kenny Omega for a long time, he was involved in this particular commentary. Um, so I just wanted to add that, that uh, I don't, I sent Leonard a link to a video and I actually don't know if it was Japanese or English commentary. It was the English commentary. I'm not sure if it was Kelly and Callis, but it was English. Commentary. Okay. Okay. Well then, okay. Good to know then. Um, so this match clocks in at an hour four minutes and 50 seconds so this is a very long match and the background leading up to this is that uh okada has been the iwgp champion 
for 709 days. He has had 12 title defenses. Um, and the record between these two guys leading up to this is one, one, and one. So this is kind of the culmination of their feud, which has lasted a long time. Obviously in Japan, they will look at these feuds and matches more as a athletic contest um, rather than, you know, storytelling and sports entertainment. Having said that, there are background stories leading up to this, um, you know, Omega being associated with the Bullet Club um, and so on and so forth. So there is that stuff in the background. But uh, by and large, this is just about competition and wanting to be the best. And this was Kenny Omega's first time becoming the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. He was the first Canadian-born uh, talent to accomplish this goal. He was the 66th champion overall. And uh, this is one of the, the only match that Dave Meltzer has rated seven stars. And we could get into, on a separate video, the oddness of Dave Meltzer's star ratings. Um, that's for a different time. It's just a matter of highlighting the fact that he thought this match was very, very good, obviously. Um, and I thought it was very, very good as well. Um, to me, this match was never boring. Um, it was two out of three falls. I hadn't mentioned that yet. Um, the first fall, you had a roll-up reversal, Okada winning the first fall. Second fall, you had Kenny Omega getting his finish, which is called the one-winged angel. And, and then the third fall would have Kenny Omega getting the one-winged angel again. Um, I forgot that there was a Styles clash in this because um, uh, obviously AJ Styles was in uh, New Japan for a long time. Well, not a long time, but a good a highlighted period anyway. Um, so this was a big feud. I personally think that this entire feud was great. There was never a moment where these two guys got together where it wasn't great. Um, and it's a really intense, stiff match. They have a lot of high spots. To me, those high spots added to the match, as I said about in the uh, when we were talking about the previous match. Um, I thought that these guys showed that they could work a slower style but they could also work a stiff style that concentrated more on striking and uh you know finishes um i thought that the two out of three falls match i don't know that there's a lot of two out of three falls matches in japan but i thought that this one worked uh for what it was a lot of times they'll just go an hour uh but uh but yeah um i have mentioned before that i'm a big kenny omega fan i know that leonard is not I have no idea what Leonard's uh, opinion is on Okada, but uh, I can only imagine what you're going to say about this, but I thought it was great. I, To me, I would put this as my top match of the decade, uh, but Leonard, take it away. It's an hour and four minutes of my life I will never get back. <laughs> I, I hated this match, and I know that makes me the worst person to ever live. I wouldn't go that far. But if you compare this match to some of the others that we've talked about, particularly the one-hour matches like Flair versus Steamboat and Punk versus Owens and, and Ciampa versus uh, Gargano that we just talked about tonight, uh, I think this really pales in comparison to the three of those. And most of those matches we talked about, it's about the story being told. And I didn't get a sense of a story being told at all. It would, all the background stuff doesn't matter. Uh, again, I didn't quite get that like I got with the Gargano Champa match, but but the story, the match itself wasn't really telling a, a story. 
um, it felt like I was watching a, a, a video game come to life. And I know that's a criticism that people do give to Kenny Omega. Uh, it was just doing moves for the sake of doing moves. Uh, but there didn't seem to be any connection. Uh, the selling, I thought, was really poor. I don't consider just laying around or grimacing for half a second to be selling. There's one point where uh, Omega takes a, a shot to the ribs and the oh, and the, and the commentators are talking about, oh, he may have cracked his ribs on that one and he's holding his lower stomach. That's not where your ribs are, you fucking idiot. Uh, I, I don't... Uh, see, I'm so worked up. This match is so terrible, I'm enraged by it. Uh, because of the lack of story, I think the pacing felt off and there wasn't much of a flow. If you look at this as just as a collection of moves, I think it's okay. I think the moves as they were performed in a vacuum were very crisp. Uh, there were some cool spots like the springboard splash from the top rope over the guardrail. But a collection of random moves and gymnastic flips doesn't do anything for me. I just don't like it. If you like it, it's great. Um, about 20 minutes was enough. You know, I think if this was just been a 20 minute match, it would have been a snappy little exhibition, but add an hour of just stringing moves together. It wears on you. Um, Okada, I liked a little bit better than Omega. I think he came across as having a better understanding of how wrestling works and how to put a real match together. Uh, I did find this better than some of Omega's US stuff that I've seen, but I would probably uh, give that to him being in Japan and working with someone like Okada. Uh, uh, the second fall, I kind of liked. I liked it better in the first fall and the third fall. Uh, also, the V-trigger has to be the worst signature move ever. Okada takes like 50 of them, and he's fine. Well, like that's he, not a signature move. That's like kind of the lead-up to a signature move. It's one of his... Well, it's a signature prominent. move because he does it all the time. Yeah. If you do it all the time, that's a signature move. Well, it's not a finisher. I get that. Right. It's not a like the more that Okada took it, the stronger he got. Like he took two. There's that spot where he takes two and then he grabs a knee on the third one. If you play a, a drinking game where every time that that Omega goes for the V trigger, you would die of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> and the same thing with Okada and the short arm lariat. So that is I, his finisher. And that and he went for that or hit that several times. And and especially with those both of those spots, this match felt very repetitive to me. So, again, I know we'll probably get comments, Leonard's a Cornetteite, or, or he's just regurgitating what Cornette tells him you to say. You said that, I didn't. Or, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but, but I think if you watch the match as I did, and I'm going to be honest with you, I went into this and I wanted to like it. I was like, you know what, I hope I really like this match. And and I didn't. I, ju I just did not. I think everything that I don't like with modern wrestling is here. I found the match very repetitive. I found it just to be a string of moves. Um, I didn't find a story being told. I didn't find characters being developed. It was just how cool can we look doing these things? Well, I mean, you're certainly entitled to your opinion. I would yeah, and it's just my opinion. It should be stressed. You know, that's not fact. It's just how I feel about this. I would say that I, I do think that there was a story here and, you know, the story being that, you know, you know, that Kenny Omega, could he overcome, you know, the two, like being down a fall and overcoming this guy who has been so dominant for so long. So I thought that was part of the, I, I thought that this did have psychology uh, within the context of the Japanese style. 
Now, Japanese style of wrestling is different than you will see in the U.S. Um, you will have a lot of a lot more of the, you know, I wouldn't call it no selling. It would be just like I can tough through your slaps or your knees or whatever. Um, that is prominent in a lot of Japanese matches. I don't mind it. I, I think it I think it can work when the talent is on, just like. If the talent is on in the U.S., I think certain things can work and certain things can't. Um, I thought that the selling was there when it needed to be. And then when it wasn't, you know, like I said, it was all about these guys trying to power out, not power out necessarily, but, you know, tough out and show their determination for kind of getting through this person's finishers. Um, but as you said, this is a more of an example of modern wrestling. And that leads back to what I said at the beginning of this episode, which is that uh, there is a transition period going on. And, uh, you know, the like anything, the style of wrestling is, you know, adapting to the period. Um, so, yeah, I really like both of these guys. I, I, you know, I don't hold all of Leonard's thoughts on the match, obviously. Um, I don't think that makes That's you the fine. worst person ever. Um, you know, now if, uh, you know, if you said that, you know, Manos, the hands of fate was the best movie ever, I would say, well, this, you know, that might make you the worst. Movie. Well, I mean, it's in the top 10, but I wouldn't say it's the best movie ever. And uh, let me do say, yes, you know, we've talked about before. I really don't watch Japanese wrestling and that's just a fault on, on my part. It's just something I didn't have a lot of exposure to or have had a lot of desire to get into. Different strokes. Yeah. And so a part of this could be me just not getting the Japanese style uh as well that, that that could be part of it too and 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 that's okay and again because i think this is a huge problem today is, is overall is that people mistake opinion for fact and right. this isn't us expressing our facts of the matter but our opinions and and i think i expressed myself why i don't like the match and gave several reasons why chad explained why he does like the match and gave several reasons why and I do certainly understand why a lot of people would like this match. And like I said, I did like some elements, some of the moves that they did, some of the spots that they did. Um, you know, I thought there was a crispness to it. I did kind of like that. If that second fall was just like its own little match, I think I would have liked this a, a lot better. There was something about the pacing, the flow, what they were doing in that second portion that I think I just kind of connected to a little bit better than, than the other two portions. So, so while I did kind of lose it there in the middle uh, and, and, and I, and I, I really didn't particularly care for it. Yeah. I think I can say that there are some good parts to it, even in, in my opinion. And again, opinion. Yeah. You know, and I would say on a side note, um, what you're talking about having an opinion, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show with Leonard, other than the fact that we're friends is the fact that, there are only a certain number of people that I can have a disagreement with and that person not take it personally. And Leonard is one of those people. Thank you. And I, I stay connected to those people because a lot of times in life, if you disagree with somebody, you can tell when they will get offended and when they take things personally and then they don't want to talk about it and it becomes awkward. And I do think that that's kind of sad um, in not just in opinions about anything really. Um, that I, I wish more people could have an opinion and not get offended about it and not hold it against that person's character 
because it has nothing to do with that person's character. Now, if Leonard had come back and said, boy, you're a real piece of shit for liking this match. Right, right. If I would have told you for liking this match, which I didn't, I actually put it on me. I'm a horrible person for not liking it. <laughs> so, like, that would be different, but, like, that's just, you know. But, yeah. So, anyway, um, please let us know what you thought of our picks. Um, there were a, a lot of matches from this decade that I would have liked to have mentioned or matches that I didn't hadn't watched yet. Um, uh, but I liked doing this series of episodes specifically because it introduced me to some matches I hadn't thought of before. And, and same up, thing with me. Right. I, again, me of matches. I love I loved Gargano and Ciampa, and I'm glad I was able to see that. And even in a way, I'm glad I can say that I saw Omega and Okada. This is a great match that everyone talks about being a great match. And while my opinion of it is not up there, I can say, oh, yeah, I've seen that now, and, and here's what I thought of it. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, so let us know if you thought we missed any picks or that one of our picks was bad or whatnot. Um, and for Leonard, my name is Chad. We will see you next time. And Alexa, see you out.